You've just landed on the Ellis Martin Report. Stay with us for the next half hour as we present you with expert insight, commentary, and potential financial opportunity. Companies featured on this program have given us cash money to be portrayed here. Some of the analyst segments are sponsored as well. Ellis Martin may have a financial position in issues mentioned on this program. Whatever. I'm the announcer. He's asked to make these disclosures. And I like the sound of my own voice. Don't you? Yeah, you do. Okay, on the web, find us at ellismartinreport.com. Here's the host of the Ellis Martin Report, Ellis Martin. Welcome to the program. Today you'll be hearing from several publicly traded companies that as part of their fiduciary duty to grow their shareholder base have hired us to expose them to our audience for potential investment consideration. Before making an investment decision, I encourage you to do your own research on each company. All of our current sponsors are featured on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. You can click through their banners or logos to their websites. We'll also speak to analysts on this program who will help to educate us and inform us as to what is happening in the financial world markets, etc. Let's begin the program. Dudley Baker is the editor of PreciousMetalsWarrants.com. Mr. Baker has 35 years of accumulated knowledge and experience in trading stocks, options, leaps, futures, options on futures, and warrants. In March 2005, he founded and launched a new investment market data service, Precious Metals Warrants, which provides detail on all mining and energy company warrants trading on the U.S. and Canadian exchanges. As part of his service, he provides insights as to when insiders are buying and selling and issues buy and sell recommendations based on his research. Dudley, welcome back to the program. Good to be here, Ellis. How are you feeling today about things? I'm feeling great. I'm actually getting excited here. I'd like to say we're almost there, and we may be there at the bottom already. Even if we're not, you know, I think we're a lot closer than we think. I really think that there's, uh, at least for resource stocks, a lot of them have already bottomed. I've got to say, we still see outside chance that gold could make one more quick, hard move to the downside that could take us down to this 1420 range. There's incredible support down in this range. If this would happen, it's going to happen really quick based on some news in the world, but something that's going to take us down in a hurry. If this happens, I love to say that this is great. This is just going to be wonderful because it's going to give everybody incredible buying opportunities especially for those that are not yet in the resource sector. Wouldn't it have to be really great news for gold to drop that steeply? It's one of those things when you come to news, you just don't know how the hell it's going to be perceived, you know, by the investors of the world. Following some of the other analysts out there that think that this could happen down to the 1420 range, a lot of their work is purely technical analysis here, no fundamentals. Now, normally the fundamentals show up being the news-driven event that's going to make the technicals look good, and it all kind of comes together. It's hard to believe what could really happen here that quick to take us down. You know, I'm not smart enough to know everything that's going on in these markets. If we were all smart, none of us would need to be writing investment services. We'd all be just filthy rich, and we'd have the whole game figured out, right? We try to stay on top of the news. We follow a lot of analysts ourselves, a lot of different opinions. So we're holding out that possibility that we could go down pretty hard in gold. I almost think, oh, when you come back to looking at gold stocks, if you want to go and look at a chart on the HUI, the Gold Bugs Index, 
I think we've got a good, solid support in here in this 470 to 480 range. We went down intraday a couple of days ago, tested this, rebounded really strong later in the afternoon, and now we're holding substantially above this support. And my gut is that even if gold would go down hard right here, I think that support range in the HUI is going to hold. And so we built an incredible base up here in the higher level of the four, let's just say 470 to, to over 600 range, big broad base. But this is base building that's going to, when we break it out to the upside, it's going to take us to substantially higher prices. You know, we've all uh, had to really exercise a lot of patience here. And I know it, it, a lot of people have difficulty having the patience when you see your portfolio go down. I saw an article the other day on 321 Gold, Bob Moriarty that owns 321. Bob said he's happy. It's been a good year. His portfolio is only down 50% for the year. Most investors will think, holy crap, are you crazy? But it could have been worse because some of the individual stocks have really been taken down hard in the resource sector, you know, the small exploration companies. Listen to people like Bob Moriarty and realize that this is a kind of a treacherous game that we play with resource stocks. Why are we in this sector? We're in this sector because when the market psychology changes, and it will, we can make a lot of money really quick. And I think that's where we are. We're either at the bottom or right sitting on top of it. And when this changes, then we'll have this opportunity to get our 500% gainers, 1,000%, 2,000%. And we always talk about the 10-baggers or the 20-baggers. And I think this is just in front of us. Well, you know I'm a subscriber to PreciousMetalsWarrants.com, your website, and as a subscriber, I received a news alert this morning. You picked up three cheap stocks without mentioning their names. Uh, you're buying right now. I'm just looking at little stocks, and I know this will sound outrageous to listeners. I think actually there are four stocks all around six cents. Three uranium stocks that have just been beaten down miserably, and one a little small royalty company. I'd already had positions in all four of the companies, but I could not resist seeing these things at six cents, thinking, I've got to top off my positions here. This is not going to last forever. And when these things pop, it would be nothing for them to double in price once the selling pressure is off. I thought, if you're ever going to buy these things, you've got to step in now. So yes, I've, you know, still am very aggressive here and truly believe in where these markets are going. And that is substantially higher in the coming months and in the next few years. Nobody knows what's going to happen, you know, in the next couple of days or next week or two, I'm fully confident of where we're going. The website again is preciousmetalswarrants.com. I've been speaking with Dudley Baker. Great to be here, Ellis. And you can listen to the segment again on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. Want to make money in resource stocks? Stay informed with Resource World Magazine, covering the latest developments in mining, oil, and gas and alternative energy. Subscribe now to save half off the newsstand price. Simply visit resourceworldmag.com or call 604-484-3800. Or pick up the latest edition at select book and magazine outlets. Resource World Magazine, your insight into the world of resource investment. David Morgan is an expert on silver, gold, and precious metals investments. He's a world-renowned lecturer appearing on CNBC and the Fox Business Channel. And Mr. Morgan is a regular contributor and friend of the Ellis Martin Report. Are you optimistic for 2012 with regard to silver or metals in general? If we take the whole year into account, I am, yes. But uh, I think it's going to be the most volatile year we've probably seen to date. Are you encouraged by the start of this week at all, or are you just ignoring it looking toward the long term? 
you can't ignore one of the biggest gains on a one-day basis for silver going back years. I mean, we got off to a rocket launch, and of course you have to pay attention to that. But that just goes back to the word I used a second ago, volatility. I think you're going to see a lot of movement both directions. But overall, the trend will be higher, and I'm expecting actually to see silver pretty much double over the course of 2012, meaning going roughly from 30 to roughly 60. So you're predicting $60 silver at some point during 2012. That's a big number for silver. It is. It breaches the $50 psychological barrier that's held silver down ever since the Hunt Brothers situation. And it was smashed down at that $48 level, actually, or 48 and a half, some time ago. And it's going to take some work to get through that. But I believe this is the year that it will happen. And I believe that once we get through that psychological barrier, that will become a floor for quite some time. Now, as a subscriber to the Morgan Report or silver-investor.com, I get updates from time to time, or I read them uh, from time to time from you, as do all of your subscribers. And a while back, I believe you mentioned, I may be paraphrasing here, silver as a buying opportunity at any price under $30. So I took your advice and I went out and stacked up on some rounds. Are you buying more silver right now? Yes, I am, and that is exactly correct. I said for a long-term investor, and long-term these days is like in the uh, two- to three-year time horizon, anything under $30 by physical. And so far, that's proven to be pretty good handle on things because if you look at the chart and see how many days it's traded under 30 there aren't very many. And even on the days where it's printed in the $26 level, there's not many prints there. In other words, you have to look at these markets in a way that most people don't understand because they don't really know how markets it's work. But it's like, uh, I'll use a car analogy, you know, sometimes a lot of car dealers will put a car on display and it will be, you know, the super deal and it's at one at this price only. So they have a lot of other cars that are almost identical to, but there's only one at that specific price. So it's kind of the same thing for silver. How much $26 silver is available? And the answer is far less than is available at $36. If you get my point, I hope I made that clear. People get the idea that, well, once it gets to 26 or 22 or whatever, their fantasy number is, I'll put my $2 million in there or whatever. Markets don't work that way. There might only be enough silver at that level to take $100,000 worth of metal off the market, and then the price starts moving back up. So that's something to bear in mind. There's a lot of people out there that just don't understand exactly how these markets work. Well, what surprised me the particular morning, I actually physically drove to a bullion dealer in Los Angeles, a fairly substantial dealer. I was the only one there buying silver. In fact, I was the only one in the showroom. I expected it to be packed. What's going on with regard to perception in the retail area and silver? Well, it's typical psychology. If you really want to do well in the markets, you have to understand psychology more than the numbers. Numbers are important. They're a tool. But if you really understand human psychology, you'll do even better. And it's the, well, price has gone off. Price has been down below 50 since, you know, May 1st. And it's going lower. Or I want to wait and see. So you get a lot of people that get that wait and see kind of an attitude. And they will wait. They'll watch. They'll see the bottom. They won't know it's the bottom. And they won't buy. In other words, they just watch it the whole time. And there's lots of people out there like that because the psychology is that they want to get the exact price low. And that's an amateur's game. A professional looks at a market and says, this is still a bull market. The major trend is still up. Nothing has gone on in the financial system that's made anything close to a resolution of these massive problems on a global basis. The metals is really the only safe harbor. Therefore, I'm going to establish a position and I'm going to keep building it. 
to use your word stacking, keep stacking up your gold and silver. And a lot of people do get that, but a lot of people don't. They're waiting, and they'll continue to wait, and they'll miss the market. Well, they're going to wait till the price goes up, I guess, or till it goes down, and it may not go down as low as they want. Is that essentially what you're saying? Yeah, what happens is people do the wrong things. I mean, right now, you were the only one in the shop. That's a good indicator you were buying correctly. I mean, if there was a massive amount of people in there, you might question yourself. Doesn't mean you shouldn't buy. Just say, hmm, that's interesting. So people should buy when they're fearful, which is now, and they should be selling or lightening up when they're greedy. But that's not what happens. If you study the markets, and it's not just the gold and silver markets, it's the tech wreck, it's the housing boom, it's any market. People get very euphoric at the high. So as you said a moment ago, as silver starts moving back through pick a number 3540, you're going to see a lot more enthusiasm and a lot of people coming in the market that didn't want to touch it when it was under 30. You know, they might have heard this radio show even and said, you know, that sounds really, really good, but it's going lower. And they don't do it. And then it starts to move higher. And some of those people will say, oh, I'm throwing in the towel. I got to buy it. I'm going to buy it now. Well, they would have had a better profit base if they would have bought it when it felt wrong to buy it. And we had this almost exact conversation uh, well over a year ago when it was under $20. That's correct. You got a great memory and that's precisely accurate. We had a very similar conversation and, you know, there was the thinking at that time, generally speaking, I'm paraphrasing, was that, oh my gosh, $20. It was at five at one time. It's a quadruple. It's double digits. It's pat, you know, now that's too high. Well, it's 22 high when you've got an infinite monetary supply and, uh, and governments that are so irresponsible that they won't up to the responsibility. You got a governments all around the world that don't know what to do and they're actually in a panic mode behind closed doors. They're throwing rocks at each other and they don't understand how to correct the system because it's beyond correction. I mean, there really isn't a physical paper price that you should focus on. What you should focus on is do I have metal or don't I? And then you should focus on do I have more at the end of 2012 than I have at the beginning of 2012. And that's the way you should appropriate your wealth because it is wealth. It's stored value and it's for the future or spending on the present day if you choose to do so. But that's the only way to articulate it. But people cannot get that paradigm shift in their thinking. Now, if we were on a hard money standard, then they would say, well, if I have more silver coins tomorrow than I have today, I'm wealthier. And that's so simple to grasp that concept. But when you put in the paper paradigm and everyone thinks of their net worth in terms of paper, they can't get the concept. They're blinded to it. But yet the reality is take that red pill, get out of the matrix and look at your net worth in terms of how many coins do I have today versus what I had a year ago? Do I have more or less? And that is true value. But I can't emphasize it enough and I certainly can't put those rose-colored glasses on everybody so they can see past the illusion into the reality. Well, let's shift this conversation into another lateral realm more or less. When I think about silver rounds now, having done business with a few silver producers based out of Canada and producing in Mexico and China and what have you, I can't help but think about these companies producing silver right now and being a part of that. What are your thoughts concerning silver producers right now? Are you grabbing up more of that stock? Absolutely. I mean, my belief hasn't really changed. They're the most undervalued, best place to be in the market. And of course, it's the one that has the most fear surrounding it. But if you are patient and you have conviction, the best place to be is in the junior to mid-tier producers 
producers buy in over the next, I'd say, few to several months, meaning three to six months, and hold on to your hats. Because what's going to happen, in my very strong view, is that with people that are extremely late to the party, that we talked about a moment ago, that are going to have to pile the silver above 40, more above 50, and even more as it moves beyond that, they're going to feel they've missed it. But they're also going to look at reality at some vague way and say, my IRA isn't going to make it, my pension fund isn't there, maybe Social Security payments will come, but they're not going to buy anything. In other words, fear will drive the market. So there'll be a huge rush in the gold and silver. However, most people will not go to coin dealers at that point in time. They'll feel that the prices have passed them by. But they will be looking for gold and silver mining companies like crazy. So I predict that it'll be similar to the tech wreck or the housing boom, only it'll be as big as or greater than those in real terms. And the reason I say that is there's nothing like a fear-driven market. When you think your money is going to lose value rapidly, it's a huge motivator to move out of that currency, whatever the currency, be it the euro, be it the U.S. dollar, be it the Aussie dollar, be it whatever, into a gold or silver-related asset. And that will be the underlying equities because almost everybody in the U.S., in fact, globally, has some type of a trading platform that's computer-based, and they can click a mouse and buy a gold stock. And once that phenomena starts to grab hold, and I really think it's going to take a probably a year and a half to two years before you see this, but once it starts, it is going to be, you know, the tulip mania all over again. You're going to see some of these penny stocks go 10 baggers in a matter of weeks. So it's okay to accumulate now, but you must be patient and look ahead for 2013 and 2014. I really believe that's the case, and that's, again, the reason why, if you really can think through these things and try to get your emotions out of the way. You want to buy now when the market's quiet, which is exactly what you said. You walked in the coin shop, you're the only one. That's a quiet market. Never sell a quiet market, one of my favorite market adages. And number two, you really want to be buying when, no, when everyone else is thinking about it. So now is the time. It doesn't mean this day. As I said, in the next three to six months, I think, you probably got that window of opportunity. And then you're going to start seeing a new base built and start moving up. And it'll move up, I think, well, but not into the you know panic buying mode that I described a minute ago. That's a couple years off, I think. Does politics per se have any immediate decision across the board with regard to influencing you over your investment decisions? Somewhat, but not much. I mean, the political spectrum is so corrupt that it is a situation that the analogy I use is it's like changing captains on the Titanic. It doesn't matter which party is in. It doesn't matter who's at the controls. It doesn't matter what lather blather speech they're making. No real changes could be made. The hull has been pierced and the ship's going down. So you're pretty much ignoring the news except for a, a, maybe a mild interest in what's happening politically? Yeah, I mean, I could use it. And some people use it to trade. I let it influence me slightly. But I mean, I look at the fundamental picture when it comes to politics. And the fundamental picture, my strong view is that it's corrupt and it cannot be corrected at this point in time. There's a, some hopes out there. I mean, I'll voice that I was honored by being able to have dinner with Ron Paul. It wasn't a one-on-one. It was the Austrians group in San Francisco one time. And I think he's awesome. I don't even think if he's elected that he'd be able to turn the ship around. I think it's too late. That's my opinion. But I really don't put much clout into the political system anymore. I think it's just really, really similar to the Roman Empire. We're in the final days and that most of the Congress critters and most of the senators are looking to fatten their own wallets on a personal basis and can give a hoot about the citizenry. Following up on an earlier point that you made just a while back in this 
conversation. You mentioned the real estate bubble. You mentioned the tech bubble of the late 90s and the early 2000s. Mining stocks, gold, silver, is that a bubble or will it act like one without ever popping? That is a fabulous question and I wish I had an answer. My take at this point in time, subject to change, is that I think the equities could get into a bubble mode. I mean, it's pretty easy to figure out what a company is worth based on whatever the current dollar price is. And when you're in that kind of a blow-off rally, you got to kind of keep your head about you and, and realize that you've only got a derivative. So what do you do with that derivative? And the answer is, quite frankly, I don't know. It's a case-by-case individual basis, but I've thought about it a great deal. So my take would be to change that asset to another one. So example would be, you got very overvalued mining shares, and maybe you could exchange that for the currency de jure and move that quickly into a very undervalued asset such as a land position, okay, raw land perhaps, maybe real estate, maybe income producing real estate, I don't know. But that's the idea. I think you still want to be in a hard asset. And so you could either go into a land position or something along those lines. As far as the metal itself, I'm reserving comment. My take today and has been for the last couple of years to go ahead and hold the metal itself. And the reason being is that you don't want to trade any physical metal for any piece of paper unless the whole system has been rectified to some large degree and you have confidence back in the system. And if there is a currency that's gold-backed or that everyone trusts and confidence restored to the system, then certainly you could take a, a look at that and perhaps sell the physical. But unless that confidence and trust is restored, I don't think it makes any sense to sell the physical. So hopefully that's clear on that. You want to sell the derivative and put it into some type of undervalued asset at the time, and you want to hold the metals until you're sure or as sure as you can be that there's some confidence remaining in the system where it's been rebuilt. In other words, it's fallen down as far as it could go, it's bottomed, and now confidence is being rebuilt and things are on the upswing again. If you don't mind, David, tell our new listeners about your website, silver-investor.com or also themorganreport.com. I think what I'd suggest is that most people that are not familiar with my work get on our free list. It is absolutely free. You'll get the 10 rules of silver investing. And you can go through those. I think they come out about every three or four days. And then I send out a weekly update for everyone for free on the economic conditions. And it's also a way to kind of track where I'm speaking or what I'm doing over the you know course of the following month or so. And then if you like the way I write, uh, we offer usually a sample edition to the report that you can read and make a view if you want to actually get my best thinking, which is reserved for our members only. The website again is silver-investor.com and themorganreport.com. David, thanks a lot for joining me today. Uh, my pleasure, Ellis. Thank you. Hey, it's me, Cool Voice Guy. Unless your brain is the size of a watermelon, like mine, you'd probably like to hear these segments again and again and again. Find us on the web at ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com. If you listen to all of them, your mind will be saturated with money juice. That's what I call it. That's ellismartinreport.com. In this segment, I'll be speaking with Neil Ringdahl, the president of Apogee Silver Limited, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol APE and in the U.S. as AGEEF. Apogee Silver is a dynamic Toronto-based junior exploration and development company with a strategic focus on advanced-stage silver, zinc, and lead deposits in world-class mineral districts in South America. Apogee's primary focus is the Pulacayo Paca property located in southwestern Bolivia. Apogee has been advancing the property since 2006 
through a joint venture agreement with Golden Minerals Company, formerly Apex Silver. Apogee is also exploring the Cachinal Silver property located in northern Chile. Apogee has a recent share price of 18 cents and is a paid sponsor of the Ellis Martin Report. Neil, welcome back to the program. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Ellis, and thank you very much for having me on the program. Give us an update on Apogee Silver. Well, we've commenced our trial mining since uh, we last spoke, and the guys are still busy with development. We should start opening up the first uh, couple of stubs in the next month or two. It's very exciting. We've been receiving really, really good grades. I'd love to be able to disclose what they are, but we're just doing our checks and balances and making sure that the numbers are correct. It's very exciting news and certainly very pleasing to have better than expected results. You recently disclosed on December 20th two drill hole results, 515 grams per ton of silver at one and 462.9 grams per ton at another. That's fairly significant. Yeah, those are individual drill hole results, and obviously you can't take that on their own, but you know, there's other drill holes that you've got to take them into account with. But they're certainly indicative of a very prospective resource, and you know, we're certainly seeing sort of comparable numbers in the underground. The question is how much dilution are we going to get, and so on. And that's why we're busy with the trial mining program to firm up on those numbers to see what we're going to get out. You know, we should start once we've built up a little stockpile, we will start uh, custom toll milling, and that'll provide us with a uh, useful information for just confirmatory on our plant design, which we're finalizing as well right now. You know, that really sets the scene for us to take the company to the next stage, which is to put the mine into production and start producing the silver commercially from within Bolivia. Is there any way to pin down the timeline on that? Very much depends on how our permitting process goes with the permitting of a plant. I think uh, I might have mentioned to you before that we had a permit for mining and custom toll milling for up to 200 tons per day. And we're currently in the process of obtaining a second permit for a 400 ton per day processing facility at the site. That involves a number of stakeholders and a number of processes. And we're in the middle of that. And so we're expecting to receive you know, an environmental permit in the second quarter of this year. And from there, we will go straight into construction and hopefully have a plant in commercial production early in 2013. Well, that's just over a year away. It's a very prolific part of Latin America, and you have a unique arrangement with the government and the people in Bolivia. That's right. I think most of the companies that are operating in Bolivia have gone the extra mile to working with the local communities in that, but we enjoy special support from the local community in that the mine is a historical mine. It produced, uh, you know, 9 million ounces for 75 years before it was uh, closed down in 1952. So the local people were very, very excited to see the mine come back into production again. It's going to, you know, receive some of its former glory that it will regain some of its former glory that it had before. So we've seen a lot of support from that point of view. And we've also gone the extra mile in terms of making sure that we employ guys local to the area and we're training up the people local to the area into more skilled positions as well, as opposed to getting in contractors and so on. And that's important because, you know, if you don't invest in the people in the area, then uh, they don't buy into the project. And you need to have that in this day and age. You can't expect to just, you know, build a clinic and expect the guys to be happy with that. You've got to go the extra mile and make sure that they see the benefits of any development in their particular, you know, zone of influence or the mine, you know. What kind of job pool of experienced miners is available locally? That's the trouble. We were, you know, hoping to find a large number of skilled people, but it seems that that's not the case. So we find that a lot of the, you know, we're going through a fairly steep learning curve with the guys we've employed, training them up from scratch. You know, they're new to mining. 
the young people, their grandfathers did the mining. Many of them are not around anymore, so we're having to start from the beginning again. We've got the patience for that, and I think it's important to have the patience for that because it'll pay the dividends in the medium term. What we're doing is we're uh, complementing the local force with a few skilled professionals. We've got a multinational management team, Bolivians, we have Peruvians, South Africans, we have Canadians on our team. You know, these guys all work together in expatriate environments, if you like, and have the experience of dealing with workforces that are perhaps not as skilled as we'd like to, but they also have the skills of training them up and getting them up to a level that's a world-class standard. I recently interviewed David Morgan, and he's forecasting a $60 an ounce price point for silver before the end of this year. If that's the case, that may double the value of whatever resource you'll be reporting from where silver sits today. That's right. I mean, your cut-off grade drops significantly if the metal prices go up. Our life of mine plan is based on a very conservative, you know, $22 silver price, which is, you know, the kind of engineering way of looking at it. If you put in a $60 silver price, you know, that kind of, I would say, doubles your return on investment, definitely. And it also doubles the resource size. If you want to mine a larger resource, you can look at a completely different uh, scenario, maybe bringing in some more lower-grade tons and, you know, expanding the mine going forward to capitalize on the increased total number of ounces that we have in the resource. For me, it's, it's really exciting because it immediately drives, you know, the revenue number. And if you've got a cost per ounce of 9 or $10 per ounce as a mining cost, you know, maybe 12 or $13, 12 to $15 for a total cost of, to company, and you have a revenue or a price of $60 silver, that's, that's a significant profit margin, isn't it? It certainly is. Neil, as always, it's been great to catch up with you. I look forward to some potentially exciting news for Apogee Silver coming up next time we speak, hopefully. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Ellis. Keep well. I've been speaking with the president of Apogee Silver, Neil Ringdahl. Apogee trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol APE and in the U.S. as AGEEF. Listen to the segment again on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com, or download the Ellis Martin Report on iTunes. Unless your brain is the size of a watermelon, like mine, you'd probably like to hear these segments again and again and again. Find us on the web at ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Scott Drever, the president of Silvercrest Mines, which trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol SVL and in the U.S. on the OTCQX as STVZF. Silvercrest Mines is a Mexican precious metals producer with headquarters based in Vancouver, British Columbia. Their flagship property is the 100% owned Santa Elena mine, which is located northeast of Hermosillo in the prolific state of Sonora, Mexico. The mine is a high-grade epithermal gold and silver producer. The company anticipates that the 2,500 tons per day facility should produce an average of approximately 800,000 ounces of silver and 30,000 ounces of gold per full production year from the open pit heat leach operation. Scott, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much, Alice. As usual, it's a a pleasure to be here. Since we last spoke, you released news about your Phase 2 drilling program at La Jolla. Tell us about that. As you know, we completed the Phase 1 earlier this year and released a bunch of results on that. Our Phase 2 is underway. It's about a $3 million program that will obviously continue the extension of the mineralized zones that we've seen so far in Phase 1. We were really pleased with Phase 1. We're in the process of completing a NI43-101 resource estimate and, and technical report, and we hope to release that probably the first week in January. That will give us a, a resource on the phase 
phase one area, which we will review and update as the drilling continues. Well, you expect some news to come out very soon then. This is not anything we're going to have to wait a month or two for. No, we shouldn't have to. The way we do those or the way we were allowed to do those is to make a press release on the resource numbers and then follow that up within, I think we have 45 days to file the report on CDAR. We want to try and keep those two events as close together as possible so that people can follow up on the information on the press release and see it in the report. And of course, the report gives you a much more detailed look at the nature of the resource and the grades and tonnages and those sorts of things. So we're hoping to have both of those done by the end of January. You're one of the few silver juniors that's performing extremely well in this downward trending market. Do you believe that it's because of the work you're doing in the ground at Santa Elena and La Jolla, or is it relative to the volatility with silver right now? I think the volatility of silver has a little bit to do with it, but I don't think as much as our operations at Santa Elena and the expectations building on the La Jolla. As a number of people know from our previous conversations, the Santa Elena production is going very well. We've reported on two quarters this year. Each has been better than the last, and our fourth quarter this year has been very, very good from a production point of view and from a profitability point of view. So I think people look at that as a stabilizing factor from our stock price perspective. We've got good solid cash flow. So we have that stabilizing base, if you will, in in terms of cash flow and production. And on the other side of things, the reporting that we've done on La Jolla to date has indicated that we may have our teeth into a sizable deposit that people are are sort of waiting in anticipation of further news on it. So I think the combination of those two things are the main reason for the resilience in our share prices. Your company seems that potentially it may be undervalued at the current share price near $2. I would certainly agree with that, Alice. I think the $2 value reflects in part the value of Santa Elena in its current state. We have a sizable expansion program going on there that will double that production in the next two to three years. I think our current market price reflects at least the operations that we have there now. I don't think there's much built into that price in terms of that expansion plan. And I don't think there's very much built into the share price in terms of the potential for La Jolla. So the possibility of a serious upside move on our share price is very good. And that's reflected in the analysts that are covering us. Can't accord genuity. Their analyst has a target price, I think, of about 375 right now. And Jennings Capital, their analyst out of Toronto, has a target price of, I believe it's $5 at this point. And those two target prices do give some value to La Jolla down the road. We haven't seen any huge inclines in the last two months. It's been more or less a gradual and steady uptick generally, even in a down market. You've headed up about 30 to 40 percent because the increase hasn't been an extreme spike. It would seem that the risk of a sharp decline would not be as strong. Wouldn't you agree? That would certainly be my sense, looking at the performance of the stock to date. We did make a substantial move, as you pointed out. It seems to be consolidating here nicely at, you know, between $1.90 and 220 And I think that's healthy from a going forward perspective to have it move reasonably well, consolidate, and then make another move. And I think when we announce the result of our phase one resource estimates and are able to articulate the potential based on those resources, uh, I think we'll see another upward move fairly quickly. What can we see for 2012 in general? 
2012, from a corporate perspective, I think we'll have a very, very good year with Santa Elena in terms of production. We have everything working at an optimum rate right now. I think we've reached that steady state that is crucial in a heat bleach operation to have your mine and crusher producing consistently and getting material on the pad for leaching. So we think our production will be consistent month over month for that year. Personally, I anticipate a fairly strong move in both silver and gold prices, which will certainly improve our revenue stream. Next year, we have probably 20,000 ounces or thereabouts of gold that will go into the spot market, where this year we delivered a fair amount of our gold production into a hedge position that we have. So we've got a lot of room on the gold side to take advantage of spot markets that I think will be much higher than we're seeing right now. We'll be working on the expansion plan at Santa Elena. We'll be coloring an underground decline. That'll get us a look at the deposit below the open pit, and that'll give us a good sense of what kind of reserves and resources we can expect there. So Santa Elena will go along very nicely, create a, a nice cash flow base for us, and we will be paid out of our debt. We'll have our hedge position on the gold reduced fairly dramatically for 2012. And of course, all of our silver production is free to hit the spot market. The La Jolla project, we're approaching that very aggressively. We have a $3 million budget laid out for probably the first half of the year. We expect to drill about 80 holes in that period to define the main mineralized trend that we've identified there, plus get a feel for the three other targets that we've identified on that property. So next year will be an exciting one, both from a financial perspective for the company and from a growth of resources and reserves. Well, I definitely appreciate the update, and I look forward to speaking with you again in the near future. Thanks for joining us. Thanks once again, Ellis. The Ellis Martin Report is sponsored in part by Tanzanian Royalty Exploration Corporation, trading on the New York Stock Exchange under the symbol TRX. Tanzanian Royalty's Buck Reef Project is an advanced-staged gold project currently in feasibility in Tanzania, with a commercial production target approximately 30 months away. With $30 million in their treasury, the company is prepared to further explore and develop the property. The president of the Tanzanian Royalty is renowned commodities expert Jim Sinclair. Visit our website, TanzanianRoyalty.com. That's TanzanianRoyalty.com. Ian Chalmers is the managing director of a company with significant assets of zirconium, rare earths, and rare metals, as well as gold and copper in New South Wales, Australia. Alkane Resources trades in the U.S. on the OTCQX as ANLKY. That's ANLKY. The Alkane story has been a compelling one, reflecting the success of their Dubbo Zirconia project and the international market for zirconium and rare metal resources. Ian, welcome back to the program. Oh, hi, Alice. Nice to be with you again. Now, you've been on the road a great deal lately. What have you been doing? I've just spent nearly two weeks in Hong Kong. There were actually three conferences there. There was a Daiwa, the big Japanese investment bank, had a conference where I was participating, followed by a mineral sands conference, zirconium, titanium, and obviously because of our involvement in the zirconium industry, very important for us. And then followed up with a rare earth conference, which was very good also. Large attendances at both those two conferences, uh, 450 at the mineral sands conference, 300 150 at the Rare Earth Conference. A lot of good information. Uh, nowhere near the pessimism about the rare earth prices that the media seems to have jumped on it. The conference was very good in the sense that there was a far more optimism about the industry where it was going to go. But certainly prices are down, but they're still way, way above what they were even eight, nine months ago. So prices are still very strong, and there was a great deal of optimism about where the industry was going to go. Speaking of zirconium and heavy rare earths, while you're on the road, your company released news about an ore reserve upgraded Dubbo. Would you like to tell us about that? 
basically uh, what we've done is publish an upgraded reserve statement for the Dubbo Zirconia project. This is a very important step because reserves are a, a step above resources. Resources just define the material in the ground, whereas reserves mean that there's an economic imprint feasibility done on it. And so that 36 million tonnes that we've identified as open pitable reserves gives us at least a start-up or initial start-up mine life of 36 years. So it's a very important step with the project going forward. What is the potential revenue during that time period for the company? Substantial. Basically, the revenues are around about $500 million a year. So if you take $500 million and multiply it by 36, you get something like $18 billion revenue over that 36-year period. So it's a substantial project and substantial revenue-generating capacities. You know, I sort of did the math before doing this interview, and quite honestly, I couldn't believe my eyes. Of course, it's not the actual profit. I mean, the cash flow out of that's about, well, it's $300 million a year cash flow, which then multiplied by 36, you get something like $10 billion a year cash flow over that 36 years. So, yeah, it still is a, a very, very substantial uh, return. That makes you a major player in any industry in Australia, correct? It does. Yes, it does. Yeah, and certainly a major mining operation. And importantly for us, a very significant player in the zirconium industry and the heavier earth industry, which is you know, really where we've been targeting now for 15 years. When you're talking about that kind of revenue, what will you be doing with the money? It's a, it's, it's, a good, it's a good question, actually. I mean, we genuinely believe we can pay dividends. I mean, that's the board strategy. We've had it now for a number of years. We felt that when this project got up in production, that would be the capability. Again, once we've paid back all capital facilities, etc., we're in a position to pay dividends, and major shareholders believe in that concept as well. So we genuinely believe we'll be a significant dividend-paying company. Now, you expect to be going into production with gold at the Tommingley project in 2013. Let's talk about that. There's a process for approvals, an environmental impact statement. There's a process that the state goes through, and one of the final stages is that it goes on what they call public display or public exhibition. So for 28 days, that environmental statement or that environmental report is available to the public. People can look at it, they can comment, they can lodge objections. So it's an important part of the process. And once that 28-day period is up, if there are no substantial objections, the state then usually approves the project to go ahead. If there are significant issues, then we have to come back and address them and make sure that we comply again. And eventually that goes back to the state, who then decide, have we complied? Have we met all the new conditions? So we were remain very confident the project has no other major environmental impacts. Pretty confident we'll get the final go-ahead sometime in the new year. It may be February, March before we get that go-ahead, but at least this is a, another big step forward. Well, you've got a great deal of work to do between Double and Tomlinley with the jobs you're creating for these two projects and those teams. How are you handling the infrastructure of the company itself? Again, important thing. I mean, historically, we've run two development teams, one for the Gold Project, one for the, the Zirconia Project, and those two teams are intimately involved with taking it forward. Now obviously when you go from conceptual feasibility study through to construction, the whole thing changes. So Alcane over the next six months will go through a transition where we'll take on senior employees to take the Tomingley project through development and then into production and then obviously put on all the operating staff when we're ready to go. With Dubbo we're still a good 12 months away from getting to that point where we can start proceeding we've got to get the financing in place, the approvals in place and that should be uh, the target for that's by the end of next year then Dubbo will go through that next transition. Fortunately the area we operate is an area with a substantial existing workforce, I mean it's a major agriculture 
agricultural region. It also has a number of significant operating mines. So there is a good workforce that's already available, uh, and, and we don't really anticipate having difficulty getting the right people to, to run these projects. Now, you mentioned financing. What kind of money do you need to get both these projects going? Are you going to the market for it, or do you have other ways of raising the cash? With Tomingley, it's about $90 million Australian dollar capital cost. We have a $45 million facility on offer to us from Credit Suisse, the large international bank. The other 45 we'll have to raise, and we're looking at the options of doing that, and that probably will mean us going to the market at some stage to raise that $45 million. Now, Dubbo said still 12 months out. The total capital for that was about $890 million, but on that $890 there's something like $180 million of that is made up of contingencies and EPCMs, add-on type things. So we think the actual real number will be closer to 750 or 800 for that project going forward. And right now there are a number of options available to us. And one of them's a small strategic sell-down of part of the project, and we think we can do that with an escalator to NPV value. So the current model has an NPV of $1.2 billion. We think we could sell 10% for maybe 200 or $300 million. Then there's, interestingly, quite a large amount of funding available from government agencies. And these are certainly Japan, Korea, European countries now are really putting up loan facilities to ensure that those countries get access to these strategic metals and applies to both the zirconium and the rare earths. To a lesser extent, Niobium, but it's still important. There's substantial fund available from those sources as well. And then finally, again, just normal commercial debt and then equity. And we've tried to target ourselves to being fairly minimal impact as far as the equity market is concerned. And we're trying to minimise the uh, the impact on the equity side of the business and, and get all the other financing applications or components in first. Rare metal prices are a bit depressed at the moment, but over the long run, that's certainly most likely not going to be the case. We remain very positive about the business, the whole business, the zirconium business particularly. There will certainly be a flat period now of maybe six months while we get through this latest financial situation. But as we go forward into the second half of 2012 and into 2013, we're very confident that the zirconium price will continue to escalate. The rare earths, it'll go through a transition over the next four or five years when the big producers like Molycorp, Linus come on stream. Some of the bulk volume rare earths like Lanthanum and Cerium, they may well come down further in price, but the key ones, Neodymium and then the heavies, Dysprosium, Terbium, Yttrium, I think those prices will remain strong for a long time, unless there's again a major change in the supply chain over the next sort of 10, even to 20 years. So we remain very positive about this business and where we're going to be situated in it starting 2014. Ian, it's always great to catch up with you. I look forward to continued positive news coming from Dubbo and Tom Lee. Thanks for joining me today on the program. Thank you, Ellis. A pleasure as usual. Once again, I've been speaking with Ian Chalmers, President and Managing Director of Alkane Resources. Alkane trades in the U.S. on the OTCQX under the symbol ANLKY. Listen to this segment again on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. For more information, visit our website, ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com. Join me now for a candid interview with America's preeminent expert on precious metals, commodities, and foreign currencies, Jim Sinclair. Mr. Sinclair is the president of sponsor Tanzanian Royalty Exploration Corporation, trading on the Amex division of the New York Stock Exchange under the symbol TRX. Tanzanian Royalty focuses primarily on gold assets strategically located in the Lake Victoria Greenstone Belt of Tanzania, one of the most prolific gold-producing regions in the world. The company acquired a 55% interest in the Advanced Stage Buck Reef Gold Mine Development Project, which could see commercial production in 2014. 
Previously to helming Tanzanian royalty, Mr. Sinclair was the founder of the Sinclair Group of Companies, which offered brokerage services in stocks, bonds, etc., operating in New York, Chicago, Kansas City, Toronto, London, and Geneva. He was an advisor to Hunt Oil and the Hunt family from 1981 through 1984 for the liquidation of their silver position as a prerequisite for the $1 billion loan arranged by former Fed Chairman Paul Volcker. Mr. Sinclair was a general partner and member of the executive committee of two New York stock exchange firms and the president of a commodities clearing firm, as well as Global Arbitrage, a derivative dealer in metals and currencies, and we're pleased to have him as a weekly guest on the Ellis Martin Report. Jim, welcome back to the program. Well, thank you very much, Ellis. There's a lot of emotion in the market. There always is. How do we get past that and make smart decisions when we're ready to invest? I'd say there's probably more emotion in the precious metals market right now than I can recall maybe in in my entire career. I've never seen so many firm opinions in contradiction to each other and so many people who are qualified who honestly don't seem to really have, you know, a firm answer to what they see in front of them. There's only one very important criteria to remember. If the feeling comes from the stomach, it's probably wrong. If it comes from the intellect, it has a better chance of being right. If it comes to you out of the blue, pay a lot of attention to it. But never pay too much attention to anything that's got fear and greed as its motivator. You can't trade on emotion, and probably right now the better thing with so much confusion around is not to. Well, you mentioned an idea coming to you seemingly out of the blue and how that might be something to pay attention to and then perhaps act upon. Those ideas just pop into our psyche and we consider them for a while and we take action on them or we don't. You're suggesting that that's the best course of action? There's a few people blessed with the understanding of how to run the computers that they carry around on their shoulders, and I think those are your most famous traders. I'm related to one of them. It's almost as if, it's the same way you remember a name you've forgotten. You make a demand and you expect to get the answer, and then you go on your business and don't think about it. You might be taking a walk, you might be doing business, you might be relaxing, and all of a sudden, I mean, everybody's had this experience, bang, in comes the name of the person involved. You have the right answer in investing and trading. But the right answer takes many forms in the means in which it comes to you. You still have to do your homework. There's no question about it. You look at it intellectually. You try and get a feel for the markets. Very few people pay any attention to those thoughts, that that word sell or buy that comes into their mind just out of the middle of nowhere. Uh, I don't suggest you take action on it, but I do suggest that you put it very high on the decision tree. So it's a matter of letting things rest and perhaps taking a walk or some other physical activity, taking your mind away from the subject. The first rule is if you need to ask somebody else about your position, your position is wrong. So if you get the feeling that you've got to seek out better advice about what you're doing, probably hedging it or closing it wouldn't be a bad idea. The answers will come if you understand how to go about looking for them. And this is not, you know, this touchy-feely, new-age stuff. It really is something called mercantile sense. Guys like Seligman and Livermore were merchants. They actually felt a new value, even though they had many tools and, and many disciplines as well. I think that's really why they learned to listen to themselves and became legendary traders. So instead of intuition being a touchy-feely, mumbo-jumbo sort of thing, it's often based on years and years of experience in the field that you might be involved in. I'm absolutely certain, it, and it's a, it's a product of all that being filed away somewhere in a file drawer and knowing what commands are necessary in order to get the mind to open up the right file. Now, you have a well-known history with regard to silver. I've been very much involved, yes. 
What does your intuition about silver tell you now? I'm probably better in gold than I am in silver. My involvement in silver came from uh, liquidating the hunts for Volcker. What I see right now, it really is in both markets. You would intellectually conclude, I believe, that CHOP still continues and the CHOP should go lower before it goes higher. However, if you take a look at the way things are trading, I'm seeing gold especially, to some degree silver, taking in the selling as it comes in waves and rebuilding itself, even though Again, intellectually, you'd adopt the continued chop lower before higher. I think we need to watch this market for about two days before we can adopt the intellectual apparent analysis that lower before higher. What's going to happen in the next two days? Well, it seems to me that there might be some shifting in the dollar situation. There might be something taking place we don't know of, or it could simply be closing of some successful positions. But I seem to see the buyers showing up quietly but strong in the metals. At the same time, the dollar is reaching into some very old high territory where it might be exhausting a bit of its benefit from the euro. So my decision is I'm modestly long in my trading account. But I'm not going to close it or follow the intellectual reasoning that seems to be the preponderant opinion in the marketplace until I see today and tomorrow's session. Well, it'll be interesting to have a conversation with you in a couple of days then. Something's taking place that is not obvious. It really shouldn't be. If you sit back and say, well, look, opinion makes markets, and you listen to the various commentators, it was only on Friday that anybody even gave gold any credit for that rally last week. That's what I'm talking about. Well, you can't say for sure what might be happening, but you have an overall sense. Something unexpected, okay? Oh, okay, a surprise then. And if it doesn't come, it doesn't come, then you'd either go flat or neutral to see what the next move is. And this is not uh, investing, this is simply speculating. So based on the sense that you have, you would recommend... Long coming off the bottom of the oversold side of a downtrend. We fell right off the overbought side of a downtrend. We didn't go down under 1600 as one would have imagined we would have looking at the action of the past two weeks. You sit and watch the screen, it trades at 1617, bam, 1613, bam, 1617. Why is it pulling back like that as the dollar moves sideways to lower at a very high level? What about precious metal stocks? Hasn't been interest. They've been in the control of hedge fund speculators that have been on the short side. I think they're down into an area now where there's actual value buying, where you can take a look at the ounces that a company has and uh, take a look at recent last sales of the combined ounces and get a feeling of some worth within a private takeover market and find some of the situations uh, to be at a significant discount to that price. Would you consider, and I know this question is biased as your company is a sponsor of this program, and you're the president of it, but would you consider Tanzanian royalty? I would consider a value buy here, yes, but there's no intention of selling the company. My opinion is that the holders of our company now, having gone through a raid by a hedge fund, are the strongest holders we have left. I also think there are people shopping for value, and those value buyers just take the last sale, the value per ounce mixed ounces, check out the comparative mixed ounce, apply it to any company they own, and take a look at whether or not that's above or below where the stock is trading. What's the message you're going to have for your shareholders on March 1st in Toronto? Just build the ounces. Get to production. It's the only answer. Pay a dividend. If you can pull off those three things, you you can build a significant company. Jim, is there anything else you wanted to mention in the segment? What's going on is unusual, and I would say don't follow your gut. Give this thing another 48 hours before you join the herd for the traders amongst our listeners. As long as one doesn't rely on emotion. I think in 48 hours the market will either re-enter the chop to the downside. As it chopped down, there is outrageous resistance at the recent bottom. There are eight overlying areas of support. I can't believe for a moment the low estimates being made by some people. Well, some folks are talking about 1,400 and below. Yeah, I tell you, it would have a hard time doing that, a very hard time, and would need stimulus to get there. 
Jim, it's always a pleasure to speak with you, and perhaps we'll visit in 48 hours and review what may or may not have happened. I'm glued to it, and I would love to discuss it after the 48 hours. I've been speaking with Jim Sinclair, the president of Tanzanian Royalty Exploration Corporation, trading under the symbol TRX on the Amex. Just type in TRX. Listen to the segment again, and find a link to Tanzanian Royalty's website on the homepage of our website, ellismartreport.com. What? It's over? No, it can't be true! What will I do? What will I say? What? Oh, oh, this. Join us next time for the Ellis Martin Report. Remember, this is actually one of those paid programs where companies and individuals pay us to let you hear all about themselves. Then they run right back to work and get jiggy with getting busy. Remember, invest at your own risk. Get more of these powerful programs free on the web at ellismartinreport.com. The Ellis Martin Report is a unit of Big Sky Productions Incorporated. For Ellis Martin, this is Cool Voice Guy. Ciao, babies.